Good morning, St. Peter's. Would you bow your hearts with me? God, creator, redeemer, sustainer, draw near now, amen. Over the past six weeks, we've steeped ourselves in the ancient tradition and words of Compline. These time-tested night prayers give us a framework and foundation for our hopes and dreams, our desires. Whether we're praying for the health of ourselves or a loved one, a new job, a breakthrough in the status of a relationship, these prayers connect us as members of a community that works, watches, and weeps together. The liturgy serves as our framework. Why do we need such a framework? We need it as a reminder of what we've committed to and of who and what we believe in. The liturgy, in a sense, is a guardrail, and like the creeds are drawn from the marrow of scripture, both contain bold statements of faith that work in us as a reminder and remembrance of ourselves as beloved in a community, who throughout time and space have affirmed and continue to affirm that we believe. Today's text features the words of Jesus, his response to the question, which commandment is the first of all? His response whittles down into a bite-sized chunk, the essence of the Christian faith. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Chapter 12 is filled with Pharisees and Herodians, Sadducees and scribes, all out to test Jesus' knowledge, and the scribes are the experts. They're teachers of Mosaic law. Jesus entertains them, but make no mistake about it. He looks on them with a hermeneutic of suspicion, what I'll call a holy side eye. He knows they want to trap him. So when the scribe comes up, Jesus takes advantage of this teaching moment and hits them with these carefully crafted words to bring back the focus on God and to center any doing, any action, the reminder that the follow me, this active spirituality he proclaims, is rooted in love. The holy God, the one God, is a God of love. Before Jesus expounds on the greatest commandment to love, God, neighbor, and self, he points to the foundational belief of the Christian faith. Can you hear it? The question, who do you say that I am from a few chapters back? And his reply, well, I'll tell you. Hear, O Israel, O members of the community gathered, O St. Peter's Chelsea, the Lord your God is one. 
So love the Lord God with all your passion and prayer and intelligence and energy. And here is the second, love others as well as you love yourself. There is no other commandment that even ranks with these. I get it. Creeds are very likely still forming. They are the unfinished articulations of our Christian conviction wrestled with in community, labored over in love, not by any means perfect, but in a sense, creeds serve as the best we've got. They are the only words we have to say the thing that we mean, the thing that tethers us to this community called Christians. But it is that line that gives a sense of heft or backbone to the words that follow. The one God, the almighty God, the holy God is a God of love. We can't hear the call to love without attending to that first line. The Lord, your God is one. That statement is the foundation and framework. And we can't hear the rest of the command without aligning our hearts, souls, and minds with the God of this unity. When we witness and walk through brokenness, and we do, when we are in need, and we always are, we need arm rails. We need a guide to take us back to what is true. Our wandering souls need words that stick, words that make sense of our collective experience and knowing, words that give shape to this thing called faith. If there ever was a time to fix our hearts on what we believe, to drill down and into, to know what we believe, well, that would, time would be now. As believers, we have to have something to say. It is not, nor has it ever been sufficient for us to cloister ourselves away in these cold, empty silos, speechless. God calls us to speak, to express divine revelation, our shared experience and truth of God in meaningful ways to share our understanding of the gospel as it speaks to us today. As we face the battle between political power and the empire and the spirit-driven authority of a God no one can see, what do we need to know? What must we do? We need to know that we are the beloved of the one God, the God of unity and love. And we need to share and live that truth with everyone we encounter. We need to put that belief into practice. Hear me when I say that this isn't about a rigid orthodoxy that leaves no room for change, doubt, or questions, but it's about alignment. In a sense, being and making friends with what we believe as we confess these ancient words and remember things our souls never forget. We are the beloved of the one God, the God of love. I attended the funeral of a family friend last week. I hardly know what to call Pierre. Connected through adoption and marriage, both of us having been grafted into the larger story of the Lockett family, well, we share this broader scope of love type bond. He's the husband of my eldest daughter's biological aunt, my brother-in-law, I guess. But at his funeral, I was reminded that Pierre Colas was my brother in Christ. 
He too believes the story proclaimed the oneness of God and his membership as a child of the Most High and centered his life on this exchange of love. His pastor told a story about him that reminded me of Pierre's commitment to this God of love and how serious he was about putting this command into practice. The story goes, after a well-tweaked sermon, one his pastor labored over and spent days putting together, Pierre pulls him aside to tell him he'd missed the mark. What? How could this be? How could his master teaching on a particular scripture fall flat? He'd worked so hard. Well, his work was apparent, but what was missing for Pierre was the reminder, the calling back of the community to a remembrance of their belonging and belovedness in God. The people are holy and loved by God, Pierre said, and they need to know that. Tell them that they are loved, that the God of love loves them. Point them back to the main idea of the story. Invite them into that. If you don't tell them, well, they'll leave not knowing, or God forbid, forget. We need inspired words like these. We need the creeds and liturgies they birth to help us remember. We need these words, all of these words, the prayers, the creeds, the liturgy. We need it and Jesus knew it. Creeds are the backbone, the bones out of which we craft our liturgy. They are confessions of faith that shape our prayers, inspire our music and art. They are not just dated words on a withered page, checked and rechecked by the word of God. They reflect our central conviction, our faith. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and that God is a God of love. When the scribe asks, Jesus answers. And the commandment, the statute or ordinance that stands above all is an amalgamation of two things. Love, love God, the one God and love your neighbor in the same way you love yourself. We're commanded to respond to each other's deepest need and that's love. And Pierre wanted to make sure that everyone was invited into that. We are to keep, recite, bind, and write these truths on our hearts. We're to tell them to ourselves and to others. We're called to remember them. This is our story and the best stories shape us, form us. They become part of us and we see, think, and act differently because of them. These commandments and creed, these words are the story of a hoped for kingdom and community and provide for us a way of moving in the world that identifies us as children of God, beloved of God. Creeds take us back to that original story and crafted through time and experience, they affirm our marking and alignment with a greater narrative. If creeds are the nectar of the scriptures, what are the scriptures saying to us and how are we harvesting their nourishment today? These phrases, even snippets of them, serve as the playlist of our spiritual lives and as such evoke strong responses. We hear them and our souls move toward alignment with God and make our way to a sense of beautiful submission 
a posture and stance that is the very essence of reverence. In our newsletter this week, Christine shared how quickly our dear Joe Lane, who is on hospice at home, responded to the songs and prayers that have shaped his life over the past 80 plus years. He heard the songs and prayers, the familiar and time-tested words, and despite a battle with dementia, remembered. She reminded that our worship life is not dead tradition. It is not dead stories and rote repetition. No, those words give us a broad sweep of church history, and we in turn massage them and work to put those stories in terms we can understand, believe, and use today. We make those stories our own. Viewed in this light, they make sense of the human story. They help us say who we are and what we believe. They tell of our tradition, our memory and identity, our belonging. Those stories belong to us. When we hear these phrases in our liturgy, those that speak most deeply to us, those that call us to remembrance, we do respond. Something deep within is set aflame, and we, like Joe, join in. We don't simply hear the words. They settle our souls in submission and in a dialogue. A dialogue begins. We commune with God, ourselves, and each other. So we need words that ground us in our common commitment in what we say we believe, words that connect us to and take us back to this great love. Today's question, which commandment is the first of all, is heard after a string of other questions. What do we know? Who do we say that Jesus is? How are we investing our lives? And Jesus's response is this robust but concise statement of belief, which goes on to gather us under the wings of this great God with words that affirm our participation in something beyond ourselves. We are called to meet each other's need for great love. The modern world wants to be free from such proclamations. It has little use for creeds, but here they are still to be found, woven through the fabric of our liturgy, in our hearts and on our lips. These words connect us to divine truths, truths that Augustine says lie scattered across the pages of scripture. They'll undoubtedly change, be redirected for a new listening ear, but the essence, the essence will remain the same. We, you and I, get to give, pour out everything we receive. This perpetual gathering and pouring of love is our beginning. And if we hold on to it with God's grace, it will be with us at our end. One, one God of love, the God of all that is and is to come. The one high God of love who created the beautiful world and everything good in it. God the Almighty. God of all that is seen and unseen. One God in Trinity and the Trinity in unity. One. One God of love in whom we can have hope today and always. Love and be loved. 
we're almost there, friends, right on the border of God's kingdom. Amen. <laughs>